2: Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. A strong, week, strong start to the week. The Dow rallying more than 500 points for its best day since early June. The S&P and the Nasdaq both rising more than a percent each. But with more earnings on tap, a Fed decision and a jobs report looming, is this just the calm before the storm? Plus, back to work, the end of six weeks of worker strikes in sight after the UAW reached a tentative deal with the last of the big three automakers. So what's next for the industry? And could the union set its sights on other car companies now? And later, a burger beat sends shares of McDonald's higher. SoFi gives up nearly all of a 15% gain at the start of the day. And counting down to Apple's pre-Halloween launch event. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B here at the next. NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, we have Bono and Eisen. Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. But first, Wall Street kicking off the week in rally mode. The Dow jumping by 511 points. The blue chip index closing just off its highs of the day. The Nasdaq closing just shy of its 200-day moving average. And the S&P seeing its best day in more than two months. Mega cap tech stocks leading today's gains. Outperformers including Amazon, Netflix, and meta platforms. <clears throat> the bullish activity coming as traders get ready for Wednesday's Fed decision. So, What's behind the burst of confidence here today? I mean, Bono, when I was looking through some of the stats, I mean, the Dow cracking its first positive day in four, the Nasdaq down, though, three weeks in a row. It could be the third negative month in a row for the major averages. But today was a bright spot. So what happened? Why?
1: I'm not sure if it's confidence or just false bravado. I mean, all of these major indices are down 10 percent in corrective territory. So for you not to be stepping in and participating is probably somewhat of a fool's errand. Um, I, I frankly, I, I think I see this from the other side of the coin. I, I think that we have started to see a bit of correction. You've started. Mike Wilson had a great note out today, essentially talking about some of the breath waning, seeing some of the up revisions waning. I think you are starting to see some of the undertones of of uh, a more. Um, uh, conservative Fed start to like kind of play through. I thought, I think you are starting to see some of the cracks of the consumer. With that said, we, we it's not right for us to expect this to be a precipitous fall down into the left. So you are going to see some pockets where you're going to find some stability. But it was just last week when we were saying, Listen, these markets have been able to hold 4200. Speaking about the SP, that's a key technical inter- indicator. That is now going to be probably offering some some resistance from the top. So I would be careful before I would be willing to jump back in with both feet. But down 10 percent in a market where we are still seeing robust economic data. I do think you probably want to take this opportunity to at least put some chips on the table, but start to average it.
2: Hmm. Yeah, Karen, I mean, in that in that Mike Wilson notices a strength in the headline labor data masks the headwinds faced by the average company and household that the Fed can't address proactively. What do you make of that?
3: Well, I'm not quite sure. I mean, uh, so do we if the economy slows, is that good for the market? Right. <laughs> Maybe because yeah. that takes the Fed out of the equation for and I think that there would be a sort of a knee jerk reaction So if the economy slows, though, does that mean the companies won't earn what we think they will earn? Mm -hmm. Yes. Maybe that as well. And who knows on any given day which of those is is weighs more. I kind of think the Fed being done weighs more. But um, I don't know. I think the other thing we saw, I don't know if we'll get to it later or not, was this the refunding um, announcement, Mm -hmm. which was um, fine, which was fine. Last time, it was not fine. It was huge, and that was scary. So fine is good. There was a couple, of, another leg up sort of when, when that came out. But I think um, I mean, it just seems so overdone. This is a really nice rally, but it only takes us back to Thursday at 11 a.m. That's yeah, true. Right? So, um, you know, I try not to get too hopped up on it. But I, I also think things like, to me, that meta reaction to that earnings was, I, I didn't understand it at all. I didn't understand why um, – you know, United Rentals, the reaction to that earnings release. Finally, at the end of the call, it started to trade up. But So I think it was just this over overdone negative sentiment starting to lift a little.
2: Dan, is any part of that the fact that we're here in October and that this month is always a bit of a scary month ending, <sighs> listen, but seasonality play a part here?
4: Listen, this is very similar to late 2021, okay? When the rates were still really low, the Fed said to battle inflation they're going to start raising interest rates, and, and we just had some of the highest valuation stuff, the stuff that didn't make money, the most speculative stuff in the market started selling off. And, you know, we were still making highs in the S&P 500 in the first week of January 2022. And so I I guess what, what, My point here is like what's gone on for the better part of the last three to six months is that most of the like the stock market has been trading very very poorly, you know, and we've had a handful of names that have been doing all the heavy lifting in the market, uh, you know, cap weighted indices, and under the surface it's been really bad. The equal weight has not been great, you know, the small caps have not been great. I'm looking at utilities, real estate, consumer staples, healthcare, financial services, basic materials, energy, industrials. They're all down in the year. Okay, so if you're still clinging to this eight and a half percent. Rally that the S&P is up. Well, it's in about ten names, okay. And if you think the ten names are the stock market, then they're not telling you what's going on. At least the way I see the equity markets, what they are saying about what's going on in the economy right now. And so, to me, I think that you know a lot of the data that we're seeing as it relates to jobs. And we're going to get that October jobs report on Friday. Um, we have a 3.8 percent unemployment level that is very near 40-year lows. Okay, so that's masking some of the other stuff that's going on in the economy. So if I'm just thinking about what Karen just said, well, I'm not sure how Meta or some of these stocks are related or, you know, reacted towards their earnings and the guidance. Most stocks are not acting particularly well relative to their earnings and their guidance right now, no matter what it is. I just think that expectations over the last nine months have gotten way too high relative to where the economy is, relative to where rates are. So to me, I just think that a lot of what's going on over the last few months makes a lot of sense. I think there's a good chance that S&P gives all of these um, gains back up on the year. I think it'd be very hard for the Nasdaq to, we need to have some of these big names in this Magnificent Seven, or whatever they're calling them, Um, would really have to be some disasters out there. And, you know, I, I don't think those are lurking right now. I think it will take some degradation to the economy to have some of those big names to really have disasters. But make no mistake about it, there are some that are falling by the wayside, and Tesla's one of them. I know we're going to talk about that later.
2: Yeah. Guy, I mean, just thinking about levels here, Oppenheimer's John Stoltzfus obviously cutting his 23-year-end 20, forecast 4,400 from 4,900. So he was very high before, mm-hmm. now, now sitting right in about the middle of the street. Does that feel right to you from what we know now, looking forward?
5: Feels a little high, but OK, I'll get 4,400. I think 4,900 was a pipe dream. Thanks for being here, obviously. And I think Bonoin's point about 4,200, which was support, now becomes resistance. If, in fact, we get there, we're 30 handles or so away. It all makes sense. Unfortunately, and we're tasked to talk about the markets through the lens of the markets, but I think a lot of people towards the end of last week sort of set up for something potentially disastrous to happen over the weekend in the Middle East. Thank God that didn't happen. But I think to a certain extent, there's some short covering on the back of that month-end is tomorrow. So a lot of things sort of set up for this move higher. But to your point, Karen's point, it just gets us back to where we were a couple days ago. I don't think necessarily anything's changed, I think. Yields continue to go higher. We've talked about the Bank of Japan. They continue to move the goalposts. They will make rates go higher in the United States. And higher rates here are not supportive of the equity market, I don't think.
2: Hmm. You make a good point about what's going on with the war in Israel, of course. And there's been focus on what's going on in the energy market. Uh, WTI off 9% this month, Bonwin I mean, What should we read into that? And how do we see that as a signal or not of what's going on in the broader economy as we're all trying to wait and see if the Fed will do what we think it will do this week? Uh,
1: I think the common underlying theme is essentially our um, sensitivity to volatility. And I think what you've seen uh, from uh, I'll I'll take WTI and then I'll talk about XLE. WTI, I think what you're seeing is just geopolitical risk and supply demand imbalances bearing out. I think what you're seeing with XLE was at one point a shift in leadership out of some of the more frothy names. And so I think you had some outperformance there for a time. Um, but you saw the same thing with real estate, for example. And then you started to see that rollover as mortgage rates have continued to climb higher. And again, we still talked about the supply, demand and balance in housing. So I think it's really those two things, all of which sets up being that we have a more restrictive monetary policy means that we're more sensitive now to vo- underlying volatility shocks, whether that be the VIX or commodity prices or interest rates. I think that's that's the common a commonality or common theme that I I see bearing itself out across uh, various sectors and asset classes. I
2: can't believe we've actually gone this long. We haven't brought up the yield on the ten-year, Karen. I mean, <laughs> how do we even handicap it from here? From where we go uh-huh. and what it means? When do we care? When do we don't? When are we shocked? When aren't we?
3: Well, I guess you know we'll get some more news on Wednesday. Yeah. What they're gonna, what's the cadence, What they're gonna sell? And to the extent that they sell further out, right? So the tens could. Be under more pressure, so I think this is—I don't know—maybe a little bit of positioning on the expectation of more tens uh, and twenties and thirties to be sold. I think um, I don't exactly know, but that's the way—that's the way I'm sort of positioned. I have uh, a little bit left of short TLT mm-hmm. um, and. Um, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because this, seemed, this is something we never used to pay attention to before, right? right? And now it's become so central. Um, the idea of, oh, my God, there's just too many between QT and, you know, what the Treasury needs to issue. There's just too many bonds to be absorbed. And so I think we'll see that higher, which the only positive is it does the Fed's work for them. right? There you go. Right. So we come back to full circle again. What's the Fed going to do? <laughs> exactly. Right? And the market wants to hear they're done.
2: Right where we started this conversation. And so it's a good time to bring in Steve Leisman. The Treasury Department out with its latest quarterly borrowing projections, expecting to raise slightly less than the current quarter, in this current quarter, than it did in the third quarter. So let's bring in CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. Uh, tell us what you've learned, Steve, and what does it mean?
6: I thought it was interesting that Karen said it was fine. I... I I guess you could argue that um, the, the, in the October to December quarter, they're going to be issuing $776 billion of debt. And the good news is that's uh, quite a bit below the number that they had, you know, by $76 billion that they had estimated in July. Uh, and then they said $816 billion in the next quarter. Um, so I guess it's fine that it's less than we thought it was, but it's hard to argue that it's fine that we're issuing trillion of debt over a two-quarter period in the first half of the fiscal year. I don't think that is fine, and and it's unclear whether or not we ever quite reach a top or where we find that top in the five-year, so long as it's unclear that we have a handle on what's going on with revenue and spending in this country. We did apparently get something of a boost in revenue uh, from deferred taxes that were deferred in California and some other folks and some other some other uh, states also did that. The IRS also because of some disaster relief that was provided. So that tax money came in. But still we have this lack of uh, congruity between the, the, the growth numbers, which should to be pretty strong, but we, the revenue numbers are not coming in, which raises the question, is the growth really that strong or is the revenue yet to come?
3: Steve, it's Karen. So a um, couple of things. First of all, fine, it's all just relative to expectations. That's all that, that Absolutely. fine refers to. I understand. To. Okay, <laughs> um, I understand. Uh, so what about to that revenue question? Is it capital gains that are missing? Where, where is the, How does that jive with this GDP number that was so hot?
6: Yes, well, your question is absolutely fine because it's right on on target in the sense that um, uh, it was capital gains that was the big miss. In other words, um, we talk about what happened in the summer and how the market was kind of surprised by the um, uh, huge surge in issuance. Well, that's because I think capital gains were something like a half a trillion dollars below estimate in part because the market has been what the market has been and that means capital gains taxes are not what what they were expected. We don't know what they're thinking right now. We might get some more information on that shortly, but and we don't know what their outlook is for revenue. But it may be that, you know, this GDP number, I've got a, a, a friend of mine in the business who said uh, friends don't let friends use GDP numbers, um, <laughs> especially the quarterly numbers. Uh, 4.9%. I, I, I have maintained from the beginning, I think that's overstated. I think it's it's likely to be stronger than had been expected, certainly, because we were looking for below 1%. But look, if the economy is growing at least above potential, we should have better revenue numbers. And hopefully those will start to come in. Um And, and hopefully between Janet Yellen and President Biden, they'll start to realize that the market is sending them a very plain message that you need to somehow give us some guidance that infinity is not the right number when it comes to debt issuance.
5: Steve, speaking of Janet Yellen, I know you saw the Stan Druckenmiller comments about Treasury and how, you know, the worst mistakes they've made since Alexander Hamilton. And I guess some of it's money, money, cornerback. I don't know if there would have been demand for a 50 year bond or 100 year bond, but Speak to that. Were you surprised by his comments? Would, would they have been able to do it uh, at that time? Do you think there would have been the commensurate demand to sort of float those things?
6: You know, obviously, great respect for Stan. Stan is a very smart guy and a great trader. I, I can only come back and tell you what Treasury policy has been, having covered it for, I don't know, five or six administrations now. And the mantra they tell you is that they want to be reliable and predictable. And if they come in and game the market and start issuing longer-term debt because longer-term rates are low, uh, the market tends to think that all of a sudden the Treasury is going to time it and playing games with it. Um, so what you try, what you see, is, guys, is that the Treasury tries to issue uh, the same percentage about more or less um, of each tenor uh, pretty equally. Now, sometimes it'll raise a little bit. The average duration are lowered a little bit, but that's within a very small margin. Stan is, of course, mathematically and financially right, at least over a short-term period. But those who agree with Treasury policy say over the long term, you maintain the trust of of the market by being reliable and predictable.
2: Steve, before we let you go, obviously, a big Fed meeting this week. I think we all think we know what is going to happen. Um, Anything that's changed in the last, I don't know, day or so that you think we should be paying attention to? Because Karen says it all really comes back around to the Fed.
6: Well, just be still my beating heart. They're going to have paused (laughs) for two meetings in a row, which they haven't done since early 2022. Um, And and I think we're going to hear how much reliance they have on what you guys were talking about, which is the 10-year Treasury, how much that will matter. Um, And I think we're going to hear how much reliance they're having on the forecast that things are going to slow. The Fed says it's data-dependent. Well, darn, if it's data-dependent, It should be hiking right now, right? Right. 4.9% GDP growth, 3.7% inflation. It should be hiking. In fact, it's not quite as data dependent as it says in the sense that it's relying on a forecast that high bond yields, student debt loan payments, uh, uh, reduced savings, and the whole panoply of things we talk about all the time are going to be reducing growth in the coming quarters along with the lags of monetary policy. So it's letting it ride for a bit. And if inflation doesn't come down, we may be talking about the Fed hiking again.
2: Interesting stuff, Steve. We're all waiting, of course, for those details when we get them later this week. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Let's trade this, guys. Um, Karen, fine. You know, I understand (laughs) fine as an expectation
3: versus expectations. Yes. Right. (laughs) And
2: anything else there that that Steve said helps you sort of elaborate on your waiting for the Fed idea? Um, Everything else that you want to understand about you know I, I guess the moves that they could make i, I think I it think is so interesting about yes they're data dependent well are they look at, well, this data. Look at the data there's so much sales you can number. choose for data right yeah, you right? can choose
3: all kinds of Pick things your own adventure you could yeah um you know uh, mortgage prices i guess yeah or more you know mortgage rates you can choose all kinds of things i think it's prudent actually for them to wait it's not like we think okay when powell says he's hawkish we shouldn't believe him we okay. believe him right sure. he has shown us he can absolutely be hawkish but i think I think it is the right thing for them to do, to just pause. And uh, they can, it doesn't mean they have to take any of their other options off the table in the future.
4: Yeah, the pro, I'm just as an equity investor, you know, if you're looking for a buy point, it, it makes it very difficult. Because at this point, like, to me, um, you know, higher for longer is the thing that weighs on the economy. It's the thing that weighs on equity valuations. It's the things that weighs a, a lot of things that, you know, like – the idea, and Guy's been saying this for a very long time, if they were to actually start cutting interest rates, it's because something not good in the economy or the global economy is going on. And then you don't want to be buying equities either. And I think back to the last time where Jerome Powell was raising interest rates. It was back in 2017 and 18 to normalize right rates. And what happened to the stock market? It hit a point where I think they got to like 2.5% on Fed funds. The 10-year got to 3% off of a very low bound. And the stock market went down 20% in a straight line. And the last couple of times we you saw really aggressive Fed. Hiking was 2000 into that high. It was in 2007 into that high. And so when you think about it, the stock market doesn't really have a great track record, at least over the last 25 years or so. When the Fed has done hiking rates, it's actually not a great time to buy equities. I mean, that, that's just been the case. And, you know, you could say in 2019 they kept on hiking into that. And you could say that the, the, the stock market— What about
3: market, 94? What about 94?
4: Uh, you know, uh, I was in college, babes. You know what I, mean, like, <laughs> I, I mean? I'm just I'm that talking about— yeah, but right. you were, yeah. Yeah, understood. But in 94, we literally went when when Fed Chair uh, Greenspan talked about irrational exuberance. Right. OK, that was in 1995. And right. I remember and I started paying attention. I was market. trying to get a job on well, Wall look Street. What happened in the market in <laughs> yeah, but that was follow. it was one of the most abnormally like, you know, the, yes, the S&P rallied 30 percent a year for the next five years until it crashed. And then we had a three year bear market and we had one of the deepest recessions in a very long time. And I don't want that. I don't think anybody wants that. I don't think the Fed Chair Powell wants that, right? And so that's one of the reasons why higher for Longer could really crimp growth, okay? And it could also make investing in equities not a great time right now. We are basically, what, 4,800 was the all-time high. We're 4,160 or something like that right now. S&P, uh, you know, right now, as far as valuations, there are periods that, 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 that don't make it that interesting with interest rate trade here to start investing and you know or putting new capital.
3: Well, let me just say one last yeah. thing. If The market's not a monolith, right? Yeah. There's a lot of things that have really... Really, that have not, you know, you talk about the Magnuson 7 all the time, um, where, who have been doing all of the heavy lifting. There's a lot of things that are really not expensive. And So I think that...
4: Really not expensive, but they might be value traps. The the way they're acting are telling you that the economy is not as good as 3.8% in the unemployment. It's not as good as that 4.9% GDP rate. It's telling you that, to me, it's telling me that interest rates higher for longer because we're about to go into a stagflationary period is not going to make equities particularly that attractive at 18 times forward, which is in line with, per fact said, you know, the 10-year average when interest rates were much lower. So, I mean, to me, when you say that the market's not a monolith, I get all that. But the things that I'm looking at, small caps, I'm looking at, you know, a whole host of other things, they just don't trade well. And so they're saying something. At least there's a big disconnect between those 10 stocks and then the other 490 in the S&P 500. We'll stick with
2: Fast Money and we'll help you understand what they're saying. Coming up, we're watching some after-hours action. Shares of Pinterest, Speed, and Lattice Semiconductor on the move as results result the wires. We'll bring you details from those quarters next. Plus, a SoFi stumble. Shares initially popping after its latest earnings report, but ending the day barely in the green. So what made those gains fizzle? We'll dig into the action when Fast Money returns.
7: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. And a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower? The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
8: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Pinterest. Shares surging after the company reported a beat on top and bottom lines. Guidance for the current quarter also coming in slightly above expectations. That conference call
0: just getting underway in the last hour. Julia Borson has the latest for us. Hi, Julia. Courtney, that's right, Pinterest beating on the top and bottom line. And the key fact here, revenue accelerated to a faster than expected 11% growth rate. Monthly active users added $9 million more than anticipated, and the company guided to fourth quarter revenue growth in a range with a midpoint ahead of the street consensus. Now, as for those concerns raised by Snap and Meta about the fourth quarter, saying that fourth quarter ad spending could be impacted by the war in the Middle East, Reddy just saying that when the conflict broke out, some brand advertisers did pause spend with a short-term impact, but they've seen most of them return. And he said if the situation did get worse, they would be impacted and brand advertising would be most at risk. But Reddy stressed that he did think they are well positioned. He also said that the company's new focus on shopping uh, was key and that the impact of AI was important. He noted the potential for generative AI to make better ads. He also said that while the Amazon partnership is going better and growing faster than expected, that the full impact of that Amazon deal won't be felt until 2024. I will have an exclusive interview with Pinterest CEO Bill Reddy. That's tomorrow in the 11 a.m. Eastern hour of Squawk on the Street. Courtney. Thank you very much, Julia. We'll be watching for that interview tomorrow.
2: Guy, that's a pretty big jump in shares of Pinterest, almost 15%.
5: It absolutely should. Revenue up 11% year-over-year. Global monthly average users up 8% year-over-year. And ARPU, if Tim was here, he would chime in, (laughs) up 3% year-over-year. All very good. And, you know, valuation-wise, it's still compelling. There's, you know, they have people in the stock now. They're activists in the stock. We've talked about this now for the better part of a year and a half when it was a teenager. I think the stock still has
4: room to the upside. Yeah, you know what's interesting, though, also great balance sheet – going to go to gap profitability next year, 77% gross margin. And when you start talking about generative AI making, you know, basically helping their ad business, that to me means greater monetization, right, of those users. So higher ARPU. Um, so yeah, the stock sold off pretty significantly over the last couple of weeks. I think it was down maybe, you know, 15, 20% or something like that from the recent highs. So up 13% here is getting some of that back. They had a really good analyst day, I think, uh, a few weeks ago here. So like, this is a decent little story in the digital Space.
2: I've always sort of thought that there could be a lot of room to run to really monetize some of those ads. And so I'll be really interested to see what generative AI does for that. Another earnings alert on two chip names moving in very opposite directions. Christina Parts joins us for details on Wolfspeed and Lattice Semiconductor. Christina,
9: what's going on here? Well, let's start with shares of silicon carbide producer Wolfspeed. They were popping about 10 percent, even though the company missed Q1 revenue estimates. The upbeat focus was on the smaller than expected loss for the first quarter, as well as the smaller than expected loss per share guidance for the second quarter. And I should say shares are now up 11%. Wolfspeed also warned they are incurring quote, significant startup costs, many of which uh, you're seeing a facility in Siler City, North Carolina. They're not generating revenue just yet, so it's hitting operating margins. Investors, though, were bracing for the worst, given competitors on Semi results earlier this morning. On Semi's Q4 guidance came in light on concerns of an EV slowdown, possibly due to Tesla order cuts, and there's also weakness in Europe. Separately, Lattice Semiconductor is down let's see that that's down about 15 over 15 percent right now despite the earnings beat the company makes programmable chips and posted a q4 guidance that came in much lower than the street anticipated a similar thing we saw with texas instruments as well last week though intel's programmable chip business also showed a slowdown both companies could set a more negative tone for amd Xilinx business which also competes with these programmable chips amd's earnings are out tomorrow after the bell that's
2: fascinating stuff christine you really have to understand the nuances with all of I know, these chip there's so names, many of course.
9: names and titles and it gets very confusing but the underlying theme is that some of the guidance going for q4 is a little bit lower and that's concerning for the entire sector
2: got it thank you very much for helping make sense of it all and the charts going in lots of different directions there of course depending on some of those nuances karen you're interested in some of the chip names ahead of the show
3: yeah it was she she was up here just hanging out which was nice to see her um and it's the the automotive, but particularly EV, which will play into Dan's, you know, Dan's been on the, the, the Tesla bear case for a long, long time. It is um, so that they also talked about industrial and I don't know what the X, auto, industrial X auto exactly means, if that's manufacturing or what. I'm not quite sure. Um, but um, I mean, that those guidance numbers for on were really really disappointing.
2: Yeah, obviously the stock feels the same way. Um, yeah. Bono, what do you think about some of these some of these chip names that aren't the, aren't the Nvidias of the world? Do you think there's uh, uh, any any play here?
1: Uh, yeah, being NVIDIA, but even that <laughs> suffered as of late. Um, I, I tend to echo a lot of Karen's sentiments, particularly with uh, with ON, um, you know, and I think that is a direct read through into the EV space. She mentioned mm, it last mm-hmm. week with, when she had her trade out of GM, and I think you're starting to see it kind of play out in other parts. So when you start to see it like vertically across the uh, manufacturing spectrum, I think it's kind of telling you something. And to me, it's, a, it's slightly concerning.
2: Huh. Got it. Okay. Well, there's a lot more fast still to come. Here's what's coming up next.
7: A big sigh for SoFi, shares initially soaring after a massive revenue beat, but losing momentum in a big way. What was behind the reversal, and does it signal more danger ahead? The traders are leaning into the student lender next, plus all things auto. The latest on the UAW's deal with GM and the electric slide in Tesla. Buckle up. We're driving straight into those trades ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
8: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money, rollercoaster ride for SoFi today. Shares of SoFi rallying nearly 15% this morning, but then retreated to close the day just 1% higher. The fintech company raised its full-year outlook for revenue and adjusted earnings, saying it expects to post a profit in the fourth quarter. Then on the conference call, CEO Anthony Noto said the company is, quote, still losing quite a bit of money on its investing product and its credit card offering. So let's trade SoFi. Dan? What do you make of this
4: one? Well, it's funny. Last quarter also, big numbers. I think a lot of investors were excited about, you know, uh, student loans being repaid and and the revenue that that is associated with that and their ability to kind of sell other products in and around that. But on that conference call, you know, Noto also mentioned that they're seeing tremendous demand for unsecured loans from higher credit scores. And that might be servicing something maybe where the banks have kind of moved away from some of this business. And that's the lane I think these guys want to be in. The fact that they're still in the credit card, they're still in the investment makes some sense because they're going to want to broaden out this offering, right? As mm-hmm. their um, top of the funnel is refinancing your student loan. That's why you go to SoFi. But then they have all these other products. So to me, I find it an interesting story. Last quarter, like I started saying, stock gapped up, filled in the gap within a few days. So it seems like there's still overhang. There's still investors in this thing who might have been around for a long time. This came public through a SPAC a few years ago that look for any opportunity on a big update to sell, right? And so the stock ended up having a nice rally, um, I think, into this process. Um, and give it all back. So to me, just keep focused on the things that they, 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 I guess, are pointing to that sound interesting. But fintech in general in the public market is not doing particularly well.
2: Right. No, it's not. Bono, what do you make of what's going yeah, on here?
4: I can, I certainly echo that last point. I yeah. just... FinTech, just exactly. where, the,
1: where the valuations are coming from, and this stock is also up about 50, 55 percent, or something, or something like that, mm. year to date. So I think that there, and then you know, Karen and I were discussing it earlier, just shy of 40 percent short interest. So there is there is that overhang there. Yeah. So I am surprised to see essentially a 14, 13, or 14 percent reversal, particularly when they're saying that I believe 67 percent of growth came from their non-lending business. So they are diversifying away from what they are historically known for, but they are also spending a lot of marketing dollars trying to you know, shore up brand awareness. So I think it's more of a long-term play. Uh, I would like to see if it kind of like holds a level, but I, I think it's in a trading range here. Long-term, I am quite bullish. I just think right now in this environment, it's just a, a challenging sector or subsector to be in altogether.
2: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, coming up, we're kicking the tires on the auto trade, the latest developments on the UAW strike. And if the tentative deal with GM can put the industry strike in the rear view and a rough day for Tesla shares, that stock heading downhill. And just like the song, one of our traders thinks the electric slide will keep going and going and going and going. More on that when Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of McDonald's topping the tape after an earnings beat this morning. Wall Street loving a 14% raise in revenue, with price hikes offsetting a slowdown in traffic. The company gaining share among middle- and high-income customers, suggesting those diners are looking to trade down. Bono, what's your take on the golden arches here? When I first heard that, I was like, oh, is that a warning sign for the economy? Should we be happy about this?
1: Yeah, well, this is uh, the M in my calm trade, and I've calmly watched the stock do nothing. <laughs> uh, but that was actually p- part of the thesis, essentially, that I was much more bearish than its played out, and I wanted names that I thought were going to hold up well in an adverse situation. And, I, and for that reason, it's, I still am bullish to name. So yes, there was a slowdown in foot traffic, slowdown in foot traffic with the lowest in consumer, but I am expecting a trade down from that high and medium in consumer. And then if you really look at the digital ad, uh, sorry, the uh, the digital sales, I think they were up like. They were some $9 billion, up from $7 billion previous quarter. So you are really starting to see that push. If you remember, Karen's Domino's Pizza, I think they saw a similar type of flight path when they made that push into alternative ways. That wasn't mine, but thank you. More efficient ways, essentially, to service customers. So I'm seeing a lot of simil- similarities here. And again, I continue to think the consumer is going to be challenged, and these are the type of names that I want to be owning.
2: And so you're, you're in McDonald's now, but you're not necessarily buying more.
1: Uh, I think you. I mean, you can buy more, but I don't think it's a compelling reason. I just think mm. it's one of those names where there's, it's it's going to be a bellwether in the storm.
2: Okay, what do you think? Bellwether in the storm, I, for the for life.
5: The soft we've seen over the last couple of weeks or last couple of months we've seen before over the last few years. It has it has happened before. That said, margins. You know, the margin improvement they saw from McDonald's that's significant. Almost forty-eight percent operating margins. Good for them. And if you look at foot traffic, comps are up 8%. 8%. I mean, that's very good compared to what the street was looking for. Valuation is rich, but it's always been rich. I think you can own this stock, especially since it sold off basically from 300 to 255.
2: All right. Well, coming up, Apple hopping in on pre-Halloween Mac reveal that will be maybe more trick than treat or treat the trick. We'll have to see what to expect from the tech giant's scary fast event tonight. Plus, a look ahead to earnings on Thursday. More fast money in, too. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're just about two hours away from Apple's, quote, scary fast event. Shares popping more than 1% today ahead of the expected Mac reveal. The company also reports earnings on Thursday. Let's bring in Tom Forte of D.A. Davidson. He's a senior research analyst at the firm. Tom, what are you expecting from this? Is it going to be a Mac reveal? Are we going to be excited about it? What do you think?
1: So the fact that they're holding it at 8 o'clock Eastern the day before Halloween, I think, (laughs) basically says that this is going to be a trick and not a treat. So...
2: It's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Bonwin, when you get to go first?
1: Yeah, I'm sticking with McDonald's. I think you're starting to see what, what you need to see from that company.
3: It's making me hungry. Karen? Yes, I'm sticking with the last of my TLT short. Might be covered on Wednesday after we hear from the it.
2: Dan? Yeah,
4: pins. Nothing not to like in this report and guidance. I wouldn't be buying it up 10%, but I'd look to be buying it on a pullback. I suspect it does over the next few days. Hmm. And Guy? Rangers in Winnipeg looking
5: to sweep a five-game road trip. First time in quite some time, Courtney, as you know.
2: uh, Chevron overdone. Thank you very much for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. Thanks, Courtney, for being here.
8: warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer